Well, greetings, greetings. It's an honor today to, to be with you, be in church. Um, I have always been interested and enjoyed archaeology. Um, and I don't know about anybody else, the art of treasure hunting, uh, where you find an interesting story or hear about a treasure somewhere buried, uh, whether, it's on, whether it's on TV or whether you go out looking for yourself. How many have done geocaching? Yeah, just a little bit, a little hint of treasure hunting. But it arouses your interest, doesn't it? It gives you a challenge um, to explore these locations where you might find the treasure. What I find interesting, though, is most of these explorations are big, grandiose, and to find these unfound artifacts that don't get explored, right? None of the small stuff seems insignificant to people. It's always the big stuff. And the Word of God is the same. The Word of God is a true treasure trove. It's uh, treasures for your soul. It's filled with 66 historical sites to be explored by digging deep into them to extract the treasures buried within the pages of the Old Testament and the pages of the New Testament. However, it's generally more the prominent books that get explored, isn't it? Like the um, books with all the stories in them. So you get stories like... Uh, Noah and the Ark, David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah, um, Jonah and the whale, and those, we focus on those kind of stories um, and then forget the other ones. But even in the New Testament, um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are huge. Then we drop into Acts, the beginning of the church. It's big. Then uh, Romans. And then maybe... Ephesians and Galatians, because they feed the soul. And then First and Second Corinthians. And then we jump to Revelation, right? And we kind of miss all those little books in between. And that's what I feel we've done with First John. Just one of those books. It's a stepping stone to, to Revelation, but we just don't dig deep into First John. Um, we read it. I've read it, but I've never dug into it until now. And that's what, we're, that's what we've been doing for the last four weeks, four weeks. And I have the privilege today of closing off our series in First John and tying it all together for us if I can. In one sense, it is extremely difficult because we've only been able to really scratch the surface. We haven't dug really that deep into First John. And there's so much more to be explored, so much more to be found. Um, and I pray that you individually will pick up the challenge and begin to dig on your own this fascinating book of First John to discover for yourself the truth that can help you live out your everyday, ordinary life. So, Father, as we dig into First John chapter 5, I ask Holy Spirit that you would reveal to each one of us different aspects of truth, different treasures that we can hold on to in our lives. Open our ears to hear from the Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to receive 
your word, I pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles or read along in the screen to uh, 1 John 5, and we're going to read 1 to 5 first. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. As we begin digging into this first section of chapter 5, we soon discover that this chapter is a continuation of chapter 4, in which he talked about real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins giving us the Spirit as proof. If God loved us like this, we certainly must love each other. And when he ends that chapter, he ends the chapter with this, we love each other because he loved us first. And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their brothers and their sisters. So he starts letting us know as as a believer, as believers, we are God's children. If you believe in God, you're a child of God. I am a child of God. And if I love my father, I must also love my brothers and my sisters. In 1 John 4, uh, verses 20 and 21, um, John has said this, if you do not love your brother, we... Um, we do not love God. If you don't love your brothers and sisters, you don't love God. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must, must also love their fellow believers. By loving fellow believers, we show proof to the world we live in that we love God. By loving God, we prove that we love our fellow believers. In fact, love for God and love for, our, for others is exactly the same kind of love. One love cannot exist without the other. So what is love for God? In John 14, 15, 21, we read, If you love me, obey my commandments. And those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So love for God demands one thing. Demands we obey his commands. And what are his commands? Well, we go back to Matthew. Matthew 22, 35 to 40. Uh, an expert of the religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law? 
the law of Moses. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equal, equally important, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commandments. John emphasizes this point in 2 John verse 6, where he says, Love for God means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. You hearing the treasure in there? Love for God demands we love each other. So the reality test on whether or not you love God's children is this. Do we love God? Because if we love God, we need to keep his commandments. In church, God's commandments are not heavy to bear. They really aren't. Because he gives us the power to obey them. And Jesus himself says to us in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy down with burden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke, my commands are easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Why is his yoke easy to bear and his burden, the burden he gives us is so so light? Because love for God is being yoked to Christ, who provides us with his power to overcome the world so we can obey his commands. So how do we attain this victory? Through our faith in Christ. It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ because Christ lives in us. Christ has already overcome Satan. I have told you all this so that you may have peace with me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, Jesus said, because I have overcome the world. Therefore, through Christ, we too can overcome the enemy of our souls. In a way, he, any way he presents himself, we can overcome him. The victory has already been won, people. Already been won. Because the spirit who gives you, he gives you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And I would rather be yoked to Christ, whose load is easy and light, than the enemies whose load is heavy and dark dark. So the first part of our dig this morning ends with a question in verse 5. And who can win this battle against the world? I thought you'd never ask. Who can win this battle against the world? Only those who love God, believe in Jesus Christ, can overcome the world. Thank you, God, for giving your children victory over sin and death. Victory to overcome this evil world and the power to obey your commands and love one another. How? Only through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the son of the living God. So then John takes us on into the second section of 1 John and looks at the evidence that verifies all the truth that he has been, been telling us. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. And since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe that God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and his life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. How do you know Jesus Christ, the one we believe in, the one we are asked to obey his commands, the one through whom we are to love one another, the one who is connected, we are connected to by the Holy Spirit, really is the Son of God. Well, through the testimony of reliable witnesses. At his baptism in the Jordan, as recorded in Mark 1, 9-11, Jesus was revealed as the Son of God by water. It's a baptismal birth. And as Jesus came out of the water, he saw heaven split open, and a dove descended. And the voice said, from heaven, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. You see, that was the start of Christ's earthly ministry. He was also revealed as our Savior in atoning sacrifice by the shedding of his blood. It was a sacrificial death for us on the cross. He paid the ultimate price for you and for me. He paid with his life, his blood. The third witness is the spirit of truth. The third, spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit confirming the reality that God was present at his son's baptism and crucifixion. Showing proof that Jesus Christ is the son of God and the savior of the world. John 15, 26 says this. But I will send you an advocate, the spirit of truth. And he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. John wrote of Jesus saying, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Therefore, as believers today, we can have complete confidence because it is the Holy Spirit's testimony that convicts men and women to be drawn to Christ. It is through the Holy Spirit's testimony that the church is established. 
is maintained and grows. It is through the Holy Spirit's testimony that believers can obey his commands, love one another, and overcome the world through the Holy Spirit. And through all these great works, the Holy Spirit continually testifies that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. The testimony of these three, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, are are in complete agreement that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. But the testimony of a human connection is very important, and we can't leave that out. When Jesus was baptized, there's people standing around watching him being baptized in the Jordan. They had to have heard the voice. I can't imagine being one of them standing there and hearing that voice say that about the one being baptized. Men and women were present at the crucifixion and witnessed Jesus die on the cross. And then with their own eyes, they saw the resurrected Jesus alive again three days later. Give you goosebumps. The apostles sent the rest of the apostles spent rest of their lives giving witness to these things which they had seen and heard. In fact, if we go back to 1 John 1, 1 to 3, I can hear uh, John saying this to us. I proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom I have heard and seen. I saw him with my own eyes. I touched him with my own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to me and I have seen him and now I testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. So I proclaim to you that I myself actually saw and heard so that you may have fellowship with me and with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. I can't wrap my head around John touching Christ, walking with Christ, eating with Christ, watching the miracles happen. But we can't exclude God either. A testimony which is greater than man's testimony, God's witness is through his Holy Spirit who lives in us and through whom we experience God's presence, power, and love. And because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our faith can be just as strong as the apostles' faith. And what is this testimony that we talk about? It's the gospel, the good news concerning Christ and the way of salvation. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And if we reject the gospel of Christ, we have rejected the testimony of God through the spirit of truth, the water, and the blood, and even man's testimony. And without it, there is no eternal life. So John completes this section, stating his purpose and writing all this simply so that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality of eternal life, not the illusion of eternal life. John is, 
John is writing to believers then and to us today in order that our faith, our trust, our assurance and confidence in God and Jesus Christ might become even more strong and certain. In order that we, you and I, can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can obey his commands, love one another, overcome the world, and have the assurance of eternal life. What a treasure to find in our lives. Time is moving. Let me just read this section to you, and I'll try and shorten up what I wrote. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should, you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, but God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in relationship with the true God because he lives, uh, we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. There's a lot of digging we could do through that today. And I wish I could finish what I wrote, but it would take too long this morning, I'm afraid. The big thing about this section is he's talking about sin and belief. To those of you who believe in the truth of God's Son, you can have the same confidence and assurance to come boldly by faith into God's presence, knowing he hears you whenever you ask for anything that is consistent with his will, his plan and his purpose. And if you're confident that he's listening, you know that God will answer whatever we ask according to his will, not our will, his will. And sometimes we just need to leave the answer in his hands. But then he goes on to say that with the assurance and boldness God has given us, we need to pray for fellow believers who, who are sinning. Um, and he, may, he clarifies that, not the sin that leads to death, but confident that God will give that person life, which can mean physical life, such as recovery from illness or spiritual life, uh, by being forgiven and cleansed from sin. And we can go to James 5.16 that talks about if you are if you are sick, to call the elders of the church, and they will come and pray for you, anointing you with oil. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick, and their sins will be forgiven. It's a combination. Did you know that? Pray for healing, but you also receive forgiveness. That's it. so cool, so cool. In the first part of the verse, John has been talking about sin that does not lead to death. But the second part, he talks about sin that leads to death been a lot of controversy around this one. I just want to leave you with this. 
Bible talks about it as being blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The sin that leads to death is a continuous and deliberate rejection of God, of Christ. Just deliberate. Of the gospel and of the witness of the Spirit, Holy Spirit in their hearts. In other words, it is knowingly continuing to sin without repentance. Without repentance. Um, and if they despise his grace, if they despise the Holy Spirit's moving in their lives, then God can do nothing more for them. They are, have rejected the Holy Spirit. And this is what it means, then, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And God says he will not forgive this sin. But we grieve the Holy Spirit. As believers, we sin, don't we? Don't we? It's a hard thing to hard thing to talk about. Ephesians four thirty says, "Don't grieve the Holy Spirit." And Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, "Don't grieve God. Don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Please." Don't take such a gift for granted. But we all sin. And if we claim we don't sin, then we're, we're, we're liars. Like We just have to admit it, don't we? We all sin. And if you're one of those that wonder sometimes, I know I have, have I ever committed the, the, that sin that's going to be fatal, right? Um... I don't think I have to worry about that one. Because in our hearts, if we sin, we know we have to ask for forgiveness. We know we have to come to the Father. We know we can come to the cross at any time. And God is gracious to forgive us. As children of God, we need to be reminded that we are not of this world. We have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And even Jesus' prayer in John 17 to his father, he said this, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to this world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So John leaves us with this. He says at the end of the chapter, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is eternal life. So dear children, my brothers and sisters in Christ, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Now you may be asking today, what do I do with all this? What do I do with everything that's been said about First John? First John has all been about knowing God. <laughs> Seems to be the central theme of First John, knowing God and what it means to know the true and the living God. So before you leave today, here's what I want you to do. 
God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, as a living sacrifice. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm going to ask you to take some time this morning. I know the time has gone, um, but you just bear with me, will you? I think this is important. I struggled with how to end today, and uh, I felt compelled to do this, so we're just going to follow through and do it. I want you to take five minutes, just five more minutes out of the day, okay? And place it before God. Place your life before God as an offering, a living sacrifice, allowing Holy Spirit to reveal to you things in your life that are taking God's place in your heart. Darkness instead of light. Hatred and jealousy instead of love for your husband or wife or your kids, your neighbor, your coworker, or school friends. The chain of sinful addictions that need to be broken so you can live in the freedom of your salvation. Maybe loneliness and isolation instead of feeling connected to God and to the body of Christ. And there are many, many more. If you can honestly fix your attention on God and open your heart to Holy Spirit's light, he will expose those things that are taking God's place. And when he does, you need to allow Holy Spirit to pour himself into that place to dispel or get rid of all the junk that is there, even the dark Spaces you think are hidden from him will not be hidden from his light. We need to be filled with his spirit today as we leave this place. The truth of who God is and be filled, with the, be filled from the inside out with a full measure of his love and the assurance of his salvation and eternal life. We need that so much. So here's a statement for you to focus on, okay? It's up on the screen. Ask Holy Spirit to open your life. Just say, I open my life to you today and lay it before you as a living sacrifice. Shine your light into my heart and life, those dark secret spaces, and reveal to me those things I've allowed to take your place in my heart and mind. Clean house, clean house. And fill me, Holy Spirit, from the inside out with your presence and with your power so I can truly love God, I can truly obey his commands, I love his children, 
and overcome the world. 